welcome to The Big Idea. I'm Douglas Kerr, and this week we'll be talking about the bird world. Birds have been around a lot longer than humans, but we have a special relationship with these neighbours of ours. Their plumage and their song are among our first examples of beauty, and they've inspired artists, poets, composers, and ordinary nature lovers. Our observation and memory of birds are inscribed all over our language, and in some cultures they're important in magic and prophecy. The skill of birds in self-propelled flight has always given us a symbol of a freedom that we aspire to. Of course, we also hunt them, domesticate them, eat them, and sometimes we're afraid of them. Now, today we want to talk about the world of the birds, how they spend their time, what they eat, why they sing, how they navigate and defend their territory, and how they adapt to an environment increasingly changed by what we are doing to it. How is the bird world faring in the Anthropocene age, the age of human domination of nature? So I'm joined today by Dr. Caroline Dingle, an evolutionary ecologist and research assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Billy Howe, a conservationist and ecologist who is vice chairman of the Conservancy Association. Starting with you, Caroline Dingle. Um, historical question, how old are birds? And is it true that birds are descended from dinosaurs? Uh, yes, it is true that birds are descended from dinosaurs. And I always tell my students this when they're afraid of handling birds. I say, they're not quite as fragile as you think. You can remember, they're, they're little dinosaurs with wings. Um, the exact age of birds um, okay. is unknown, but depends on what evidence we look at. But they're somewhere between 60 and 100 million years old. Uh, dinosaurs existed from about 230 million years ago to 65 million years ago. So we know that birds evolved sometime around the time that the dinosaurs existed. And we would start calling them birds when they have the ability to fly. Is that right? I mean, would this be the definitive, the definition of a bird, flying dinosaur? Yes, it depends. Um, I, I guess. I guess the answer to that question is that we don't know the exact evolutionary steps. So hmm. I guess the the transition from dinosaur to birds is a bit messy, and we don't know exactly where it happened. And now there are many, many species of birds. Do we? Can we make a guess as to how many species of birds in the world, Billy? Well, in Hong Kong, we have about 535. The numbers are increasing. We're finding more every year. Uh, I have actually really checked the total number in the world. When you say the, there are more... The, the number is going up, that means that more are being identified, not that more species are, are coming to Hong Kong. Is that right? In addition to that, I, w I would say more are being discovered. Discovered, yeah. right. Um, I think the, the, the level of bird-watching efforts in Hong Kong um, now, I think, is the highest in history. Yes. So we actually have people, photographers, in every part of Hong Kong every year. And... Uh, that's why we, we are able to record or discover more bird species in recent years. If you look at the records kept by the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society, every year we have a couple of birds added to the list. And your list would include birds that live here all the year round and also birds of passage who only visit for yes. a, a certain part of the year. True, yes. Right. Okay. Um, this is a question some people might already think they know the answer to. Um, what are the most common birds in Hong Kong? I think many people will say the, uh, the, the Eurasian tree sparrow. Uh -huh. But in fact, from my own 
observation, I think it will be the Chinese bobo. Bobo. Chinese bobo. Exactly that species, Chinese bobo. It's a little bit bigger than the uh, tree sparrow, with a, a white patch on the on the head. Okay. And that's why they, uh, in the Chinese name, they're called white-headed bobo. White-headed bobo. And there are lots of different bobo. There are right. over 10 bobo species in Hong okay. Kong. I say the Chinese bobo is the most common uh, because they occur almost in all kinds of habitats mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. So mm-hmm. you will see it in Maipo, you will see it in Taiko Kao, you, you will also see it in Kowloon Park. So that means everywhere you go, you will see that bird. Would you see it in the city? Yes. In, in urban environments yes. too? Yes. As I, I took my son to the uh, Morrison Hill uh, swimming pool last Saturday. Uh-huh. While I was waiting for him, I saw a Chinese bobo eating the fruits of Amelia outside the pool. I want, for, caught, for, okay, while we're talking about Hong Kong birds, I, I want to ask a special question about the cockatoos. Yep. Because this is a, there's a gang of them yep. who, who seem to live in the city. Yes. And they kind of flock around. They're very raucous, make a lot of noise like yes. teenagers. Um, is it true? These are not indigenous to Hong Kong, are no. they? Where no. do they come from? They're introduced. Their native range is in Indonesia, in several islands. And in fact, they are a critically endangered species, exactly oh, really? because of the, the pet tray. I mean, the reason why it was introduced to Hong Kong is because people kept it at home as pets, and somehow they escaped. And the escaped individuals uh, sort of formed a breeding population in Hong Kong. But in their I, hometown... I heard a legend that this happened during the, when the Japanese yes. uh, uh, invaded Hong Kong and <clears throat> people were sent away to the uh, uh, internment camps and they yeah. let their pets go. That was one saying. Uh-huh. But the early record of the species is not at all that clear. Mm-hmm. So that this is just one saying of how they established a population in Hong Kong. But in their hometown in Indonesia, they, was, they, they were poached... Uh, put in the pet tray, and it is actually a worldwide species. If you go to any bird markets in the world, you will find them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and th- and many people are saying that um, the population in Hong Kong is important, although it's not native, because if all the original birds in Indonesia shall disappear, Hong Kong will be the large last breeding population of that species. Might be a reservoir of genetic diversity as well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stay with Hong Kong birds for a while and think about the life of a bird, what it's like to be a bird in Hong Kong. So I want to I want you to imagine that I'm a Hong Kong bird, okay, through the magic of radio. Let's say I'm a, what would be a common species, a bulbul. Okay. Okay, I'm a Chinese bulbul. Um, can you describe to me, Caroline perhaps, what sort of life I can expect? Here I am, I've just been hatched out of the egg. What time of year would this be? I get hatched. Summer. Yeah. In the summer? Yeah. In the summer. So birds will start breeding in Hong Kong fairly soon, if not already starting to build nests and then lay eggs in March. The bulbul builds a nest in a a tree? Yes. Okay. Uh, And in vines, they're pretty opportunistic, which is probably why they're so common. Yeah, I would say dense vegetation. They need to hide the nests from predators. All right. I've just hatched that. I've got brothers and sisters, lots of them, in the same... Generation in a clutch. Okay. Yeah. What are my chances of becoming an adult? Pretty low. I, 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 no one has to figure, but yeah. as a general ecology rule, it's pretty low. What threatens my chances of becoming an Predators, adult? Predators, mainly. Which would be what? Snakes? Uh, no, if, as a bird, the, the major predators will be other birds, like the birds of prey. 
Um, there will be ma- uh, small mammals like mm-hmm. uh, uh, rats and uh, things. May not be rat, may maybe a civet. Civet. Yeah, they sometimes will hunt or the small birds as well, because at night the birds will will sort of roost on the tree. Yes. Okay. Uh, if you're, even if you're not nesting, they just sleep by standing on a branch or something. But these nocturnal mammals, they come out and they will hunt. Okay, so it's quite a high-risk career being a bird. Um, <clears throat> supposing I've survived my first <laughs> crucial few days, I'm being fed by my parents to begin with. Is this right? Yes. Because I'm a sort of scraggy little thing. I can't fly or anything. Yep. Both parents are feeding me? Depends, yes. on, depends on the species. In some species, only the female feeds. And in some species, both the male and the female will For, for Chinese, bobo is both. Both. So both parents are, are coming, bringing worms and stuff mm-hmm. yeah. for me to eat. Okay, I feel I'm getting stronger. Every, everything is working. At what stage am I ready to fly? This must be the crucial moment in a bird's career. Um, after uh, hatching from eggs is about a month, maybe a month and a half. They have to leave the nest as a fledging, and they will continue to be looked after by the parents for some time until they can hunt by itself. And uh, you're talking about two months, two to three months. Okay, let's suppose that I've accomplished this and I've taken my first flight. I haven't crash-landed anything. I'm a good flyer. (laughs) Um, The parents are not particularly willing to go on feeding me forever. It's like human parents. They want you to get out, leave home and look after yourself. So... I'm starting now to be ready to find food for myself. What food am I looking for? Um, basically insects in the summer. So the, the parents actually will train the, the, the young birds. So they will leave the nest, but then the parents will stay with the young chicks for some time, and uh, they will hunt and, and feed the, the chick, and the chick will also hunt by itself. So they will move around uh, an area of the woodland to complete okay. this process. So... Insects, uh, so this is a, may seem a, a naive question, but do I find these insects when I'm flying or I, do I find them on the ground? Both. Caterpillar will be on the plants. Yes. Butterfly will be on the wing. Yeah. So it depends. But they, they eat uh, things that they come across. Okay. Um, I presume that most birds are hungry most of the time. Would that be right? Yes. They spend most of the time in the day hunting. So this was my next question. What What's my my daily routine? Mm. I get up in the morning. I spend my whole waking time looking for food. Yeah. And then, if I've been had a good day, I'm lucky enough. What do I go to sleep? Yes. With once it sun. gets dark, yeah. you yeah. With the sun. You go back and roost and get ready for. And I'm just I, I'm sit, standing on a branch. Yeah. I can stand that. I don't fall off when no. I go to sleep. Yes. Why not? That's what, how they, they were designed. <laughs> <laughs> they, have a, they have a mechanism on their claws, so yeah. especially the perching birds. So when they sit down and put weight on their claws, they tighten around the branch so that they don't fall off. Okay, I'm having an increased respect for my <laughs> adopted species. For, for your little dinosaurs. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, what, so th- then... Within the first year of my life, am I ready to, to find a mate? Yes, you buy. Yeah, would, would be. Yes. Yeah, by yeah. the next by the next breeding season, yeah. you would be expected to have a territory of your own and and start looking for yeah. a mate. Territory first. I, I need a place that belongs to me, mm-hmm. and then I'm 
marriageable prospect. Is that right? Male and female? In the bulbuls, it would just be males, presumably. But some species, you have both the male and female. For example, the magpie robins, which are very common mm-hmm. in Hong Kong yes. also. Uh, both males and females defend a territory. So mm-hmm. they would defend a joint territory together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've found a mate. Everything's worked out. I'm, I build a nest. We both build a nest. No, if you're just hatchling for the first year, mm-hmm. you're not able to build a nest yet. It will be next year. Okay. If you're hatchling, uh, let's say, in May, June, you, you still need time to grow. You can't mate just yet. You have to wait okay. for one year. All right, I don't mind waiting for a bit. So then <laughs> I, I build a nest, and this would be a nest made out of all sorts of stuff, twigs um, and leaves and things. Le- no, no, just twigs. Twigs. For Chinese bobo, it's just mm-hmm. maybe grass stamps, tiny little twigs because they have to bend it. If the tracks is very big, they can't. Okay. Yeah, they, a lot of them use grass stems. Yeah. yeah. And this is, for a bird, this is a fairly major engineering yes. project, yes. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I've got through my first cycle. My children are now flying around. How, if all goes well, how long can I expect to live? For Chinese World War, I think several years. Several years. Yeah. And this would be... So is this an ordinary lifespan for a bird? Do some birds no. live with parrots live on, forever? Yeah, it depends quite a lot on your lifestyle as well. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. you're a sedentary bird, which means you don't migrate, mm-hmm. you can expect to live mm-hmm. quite a bit longer than if you're a migratory species. So because migration period is quite dangerous. It's high risk. Very high risk. Yeah. And you have to be very tough. Yes. yes. Migration period and therefore your longevity will be affected. Mm. Okay, but I'm a Chinese bulbul. I'm not intending to migrate. So. Well, there, some Chinese bulbul migrate. Oh, they do? Yeah. Okay. Right. So in Hong Kong, you can't separate them. Some are resident. They don't move. Mm-hmm. Some move in between um, central China and Hong Kong. Yeah. For reasons of climate? Yeah. The, uh-huh. Because of the cold in the north, they, they move down to Hong Kong in the winter. Yeah. Okay. So yes. I've got an ecological question for you, and that is... How, in in a very general sense, how do birds fit into the whole ecosystem? Basically, is 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 in the food web. They they eat something. Mm-hmm. They eat either for for some bird species they eat fruits, for other bird species they eat meat. That means insects and other things. Mm-hmm. And 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 for the bird of prey, the eagles and hawks and so on, they eat other birds or smaller mammals or reptiles and so on. So they are part of the food web, I would say, which built up the uh, ecosystem. Mm. And uh, apart from that, they play many important roles. For example, in rainforests, um, let's say in Southeast Asia, a lot of the bird species are essential seed dispersers of of many important seed seed dispersers of important tree species. And I'm I'm sure people know the hornbills, the large, large, very big Bills. Forest birds. Yeah. Right. They are actually very important in the rainforest dynamics because uh, they have very big beak. They can handle big fruits. So they, follow, they swallow the big fruits and, and defecate and help the tree to disperse the seeds. Mm. Um, and because of that, we have a, some dominant species in, in rainforests, some fig trees and other species we are, which are predominantly dispersed by these big birds. So if you take these big birds away uh, from the system, which is happening because hornbills are hunted for, yes. for, for pets or for various other yeah. purposes, so it affects the dynamics of the forest. These fruit trees, they're not recruiting well because 
all these large birds have been sort of um, caught and, and so taken if, away. So if it's like taking a brick out of the wall, yeah. um, they, the, the absence of the bird means that the whole... Syst- the whole system actually is affected. Yeah, the tree. Let's say the tree cannot get recruited, mm-hmm. and therefore it will gradually be replaced by all the tree species. Let's mm. say, and then the forest dynamic change completely mm. o- over a long, of course, over a long period of time. As to add to that, there's some trees where their seeds are. Their dispersal strategy is that the seed has to be eaten by a bird, and there's something about the process of being swallowed, digested, and then defecated by the bird that primes the seed and makes it ready for being planted and growing again. Mm-hmm. So without passing through a bird or, or another animal, that seed will actually not turn into a tree. It's it's just incredible, isn't it? I mean, how, how on earth can we account for how this came about? And this this must be, well, this would be straying from, from our question, but it, it is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Okay, um, Changing the topic slightly, because Caroline, I wanted to, I, I know that your research has to do particularly with bird song, and you might not even agree that bird song is the correct word for what you do. Is it a song? There are songs. There are also calls, yes. Is it kind of music? Depends on whose perspective you're asking from. <laughs> well. <laughs> so from, um, from our perspective, we regard it as music, I think. As you mentioned in your introduction, that people have found a lot of joy in birds from their looks and also their sounds over the time. So, so many some, poems and yeah, yeah. religious. Some yeah. some bird songs are spectacularly beautiful, but other mm. bird calls can be quite ugly, can't they? Yes, yes, like the cockatoos. The cockatoos, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this the beauty of their call can actually be the detriment of some of these bird species, which are traded because they are they of make course. pretty songs and kept in yeah. in cages to mm. the. So let's call it birdsong. And then the next question is, what, what's it for? So birds, the primary function of birdsong is to attract mates. So going back to your life cycles, is okay. when some male has established his territory, he sings to show off how good a male he is and females choose who to mate with. But, on but hang on, because you've been saying that the, there is a mating season, which starts and stops, but there is birdsong all through the year, isn't mm. there? So the second function for birdsong is to defend a territory. So birds sing to attract mates and also to defend their little plot of land. Same song? Not always. Um, some birds have a... They can have different songs for different functions. Um, the k- kinds of things that a female might look for in mm-hmm. a sexy song, so to okay. speak. Um, so studies have shown that females prefer songs that have really fast trill rates. If you've heard a bird that does a really rapid trill rate... Um, and the thought is that it's because that is more difficult to produce so for the male for so it shows off something about virtuoso yes, singers, how, how good this male is more likely to pull the birds yes. mm-hmm. um, so songs that have uh, a, a single note that covers a, a big broad um, frequency range mm-hmm. is also so a note that would go from low frequency to high frequency very quickly is also hard to produce so some females prefer songs like that so it's a display it's a display yes. of, of what they can do yes if I'm a a good singer, I'm likely to be a, a good mate. This would be the theory. Either you'll be on. a good mate or you'll produce good offspring. So your it's sons will thing. also be sexy singers. Yes. <laughs> okay. For, for, and for one species in Hong Kong, uh, like the coel, which is a very noisy bird in spring in Hong Kong, as soon as the cold stops and it's become wet and hot, they start to call. A 
a very noisy uh, urban bird. Mm-hmm. It's called koal because it's called. It's like koal, koal, koal. It's very not very, very loud. In fact, they are all all, um, all year round in Hong Kong, but they only call during that breeding season. As as uh, Caroline just suggests, they they call because they establish their territory. They also want to attract the female. I suspect for that specific species. Um, the male has to keep on calling all day. That's why it's noisy. It's to prove that I'm, I'm, I'm strong, I can it's call stamina. all day to attract the female. Yeah. yeah, but the specific and characteristics the, would vary quite a lot from uh-huh. species to species, what they're looking What about for. from individual to individual? Would two, if you have two magpie robins, say, in, in adjacent territories, would you, be able to, would you be able to tell the difference and know which one is singing if you couldn't see them? Probably not just from listening to it, but if you look at it on the computer, you can record the song and digitize it and then make a visual sonogram of the picture. Then you can actually measure different frequency characteristics. And doing that, you can actually tell differences between individuals. So, so males will vary slightly in in frequency range or the minimum or maximum frequency that they sing. So I presume that the female birds or the other male birds can detect that they must be better able to than tell, me. <laughs> tell the difference so it, each bird like like a human being each bird has a voice it has its an individual voice yes okay um on this question of communication uh, there are other ways in which birds can communicate with one another some of these seem to be quite mysterious like for example if you've got a big flock of starlings or something they all seem to flock and turn at the, at the same time. What, how does that work? Does anyone know? Yes, people do look at this, um, how they signal to each other, because mm. you think if they don't understand, then they're going to end up all crashing into exactly. each other. Exactly, yeah, because they um, quite, can be quite packed together, can't they? Yes, yeah. Um, so I, I don't movement. know the details of how that works, but it will be something about movement, yeah. I would guess. And you also have birds that use in displays, going back to the mating function, uh, birds will, on top of song, they will also do behavioral displays where they might f- open their wings or uh, flap or do a dance uh, along with the song. Yeah. So they have multi-modal displays okay. to attract mates. All right. Uh, Penny, uh, thinking about birds in groups, quite often birds, sometimes they're individual solitary or in a pair or sometimes they flock mm-hmm. together. Uh, do birds cooperate can we talk about a sort of bird society? I, I would rather say it's not direct cooperation. If they flock together, it's, it's a kind of uh, uh, risk reduction. So, so it's just safety in numbers? Yeah, safety in numbers. Or uh, if they nest together, some bird species, they choose to net in a colony. Mm-hmm. This is also safety in numbers. Mm. I, I couldn't recall any species that hunt together. You do get... Some species that have family groups that live together, and you can actually have the younger individuals. So going back to our life cycle, in in these groups, the young birds won't actually mate in their first year. They'll actually stick around as helpers, Mm. and they'll help their parents Mm. mate and raise their offspring. Um, So that's probably the best case of cooperation. Another example I can think of is the forest birds. Mm -hmm. If you're a bird watcher, you will walk into the Taipokao Forest in Hong Kong, you, you would look for the bird wave. It's wave. actually, they, we call it bird wave. It's actually several species that usually come together. They act like a gang, so they go through the canopy of the forest. But going in a group is higher chance that you disturb some insects. 
So you've got higher hunting success. Mm. So I I don't think they're cooperating, but by doing this together in numbers, you you, recognize this is to the individual benefit. And you've got higher chance, higher hunting success. Yeah. Okay, we need a political scientist here to <laughs> tell us if this, is, if this constitutes a society or not. Um, let's think, because we're getting towards the end of our time, I want to think a little bit more about birds in cities. Because mm. Hong Kong is a very highly urbanised um, uh, environment. Uh, and birds were obviously didn't evolve to live in cities any more than human beings did. How well have, <clears throat> have birds adapted to urban life. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so certainly some birds have done very, very well. We could probably all think of species we know of that are in most cities that you see. So in Hong Kong, the tree sparrow is one that has, Mm -hmm. basically you only see tree sparrows in urban areas and not outside of urban areas. A a more global example is the pigeon, which occurs in almost 100% of all cities around the world. Um, But of course, other species that are more dependent on forest or certain habitats Mm. or food types don't do as well in cities. Pigeons doing well in cities because they scavenge, because they pick up human and stuff that human beings have left lying around. That's probably part of the puzzle that they are able to adapt to the food sources that are available to them in in cities. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, their nesting flexibility means that they can nest very easily on human right. buildings. Yeah. Um, whereas you have th- some birds that need to have, for example, a nest hole, a cavity that they are in. Um, some of those do well in cities, but it depends on if the yeah. nesting site is available. Well, if you look at the 500 or so species of birds in Hong Kong, the, I, I would think the, the truly urban bird species is around 50. 50? Yeah. Yeah. And what about things like I know, traffic and noise and lights and stuff like this? This must be very disturbing so for a bird. The way I've been thinking about urban birds is urban environments are they're still an ecosystem. So they still have the same selection pressures mm. that they do in any other ecosystem, uh-huh. but the pressures are just different. Mm. So in a forest, a bird still has to deal with predators. It has to deal with noise from streams or wind. Um, it has to eat. It has to do mm. all. And birds in cities have to do all the same things. But now the parameters are changed. If you look at it from another angle, I think for all the species we mentioned, I think it's only the pigeon which could really survive in human uh, habitats. For the other so-called urban birds, they always need trees. They always depend on parks and gardens with dense vegetation. Sparrows and stuff. Even sparrow. Sparrow, they, they need, they need a wilderness area. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see them a lot in the urban area, but they also spend a lot of time in the fringe of the uh, forest edges and so on. Mm-hmm. And pigeon is really the only one which doesn't really need uh, wilderness areas. I was reading something earlier that the... They've looked at... Basically, cities have only been in existence for the last 10,000 years, which is fairly recent in evolutionary terms, but they're able to look at some of these old cities and look at fossils from those areas. And they find, even back then, they find pigeons and sparrows already associated very closely with human Mm. habitation. But birds, yes, show the same kind of adaptations that they might in a more natural sort of ecosystem. So, uh, for example, in response to urban noise, birds have changed their song. So in urban areas, they sing with a higher frequency so that their songs can be heard over the 
noise of the traffic. Yeah, so if you can uh, adapt behaviorally to some of these changes, you have a better chance of doing well. Okay, we have used up all our time. I'd like to thank both of my guests, Caroline Dingle and Billy Howe, very much. Um, and thank you for listening. <laughs>